Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another show. Cody, today we we have some unfinished business because we were we were supposed to talk about this last week. Should we just tease it for another show? Should we talk about something else today and just push it back another show? No. In all seriousness, um, we had some research that we did for the entire show last week. This is what we we're going to talk about. And as is the case sometimes, we, as you like to say, we got lost in the sauce and we started talking about other things and we had a spirited debate about what it means to be an all-star. Um, I, I don't know. Have you changed your mind at all after after that conversation? This entire time that you were saying that we forgot to bring it up last time, I was racking my brain. I'm like, what did we talk about last yeah. time? What, what what was the topic? But wow, I completely forgot about that. I have to say, Ben, I have to say that when I did go back and, and listen back, listen, listen, yes, I go back and listen sometimes, always. I feel like I pick stuff up because in the moment, like yeah. you're, you're not always 100% there. I was like, I, I see his point a little bit more. I don't know if I'm ready to switch sides. I'm definitely not ready for that. But I was like, I'm I'm more open to what you're saying about things right now. I'm, I, I'm more I, open to your argument. I had the exact same experience. I was listening back and I was like, the only thing that I that I kind of took away that we didn't get to in the moment was that I think some people, I liked what you were saying about all NBA and all-star, but I feel like some people do, they, they flip them around and some people are like, all NBA, you have to play. 865 games to make my all NBA team. So that's neither here nor there, but that was a fun a fun discussion. Today we're going to get to the actual thing we wanted to talk about. Uh it essentially is the Golden State Warriors. We're going to talk about the Golden State Warriors today. As of recording this right now, the Warriors are are they are they under 500? Aren't aren't they're at 500 or they're under 500? I can never tell with this team. They're 23 and 24. They've played 47 games. They're 23 and 24. They're in the 10th position in the West. They've been hovering around that play-in game position for what feels like the entire season. And um, I mean, what do you, what do you what do you make of this team, Cody? Before we before we reveal our research, which connects to the Warriors, just let's you know what's your high-level takeaway right now. I find them to be one of the strangest teams in the NBA. Right. Like I, I was earlier on this in the season. You know, there was a, oh, this is actually the tweet that we were going to refer to. It's amazing how this all connects. There's there's a tweet that that kind of led to our research. But I was under the impression that when Curry was out for a few games, I was like, this is it. Like they're going to really struggle to to ramp themselves up. They're going to be playing catch up the whole time. And then they didn't do so bad with Curry. Like I think the the on off numbers were uh, were a little bit worse than what their record was at the time. But they also ultimately didn't crater. But even when they're at quote unquote full strength, you know, Clay's been playing, Curry's been playing, Draymond's been playing. They haven't been the world beaters that I expected. But also when you like look at granular detail and you look at some of the lineup stuff, you're like, actually, this team's pretty solid still. Yeah. So it, it like the deeper you look, like the more layers of the onion that you like peel away. It's just like, here's another mystery. Here's another mystery. It's there's just really a fascinating team this year. So they were a, they were a huge story last year and a fascinating team last year for obvious reasons, getting back together after being injured and um, sort of resuming a, a championship run, ultimately winning the championship. The team was healthy. And so you have this continuity of like health from 2015 to 2022. They have not been defeated in the Western Conference playoffs. They have either won the championship or made the finals every year that they've been together and been healthy. So here we sit in 2023 and I think we're going to have a lot to say when we go back and analyze in a minute the, the, the fascinating things going on with this team. But they're in the 10th seed, man. They're in the 10th seed. And the teams are close together. But, Cody, let's say they get to, like, the fourth seed, which I'm not even sure it could happen. But, you know, maybe maybe that's a little optimistic. They get 46, 48 wins. Um, they're 23 and 24. So to get 48 wins, they would have to finish 25 and 10, which feels like a serious stretch of of basketball the way the teams are so competitive this year. That's just get that's just to get to 48 wins. How many teams do you think have won a title in the three-point era that's since 1980 being the fourth seed? How many teams have won a title going into the tournament as the fourth seed? 
like the fourth or worst seed or like yeah. specifically fourth or four. worst okay. yeah okay yeah. well before we do that just really weird thing about the west is that the warriors right now have 23 wins like you said the fourth seed in the west has 26 wins so there's only three wins that separates them right now so i the west is also just the whole western conference is really strange right now that's new orleans right new orleans is still in the fourth yeah, they're still in the fourth, and they're, they have the same amount of wins as the Clippers, who have two more losses than, than the Pelicans. Well, the, in- the really interesting thing to me is I think when the Pelicans are healthy, and Zion is supposed to come back in a few weeks from the hamstring, um, you would think with that kind of injury, nothing crazy can happen. You know, knock on wood, but a couple more weeks, he's back on the court. Brandon Ingram is the question mark, because he's been out for a long time with this toe injury. I get worried in today's day and age when there's like a mysterious, why aren't you coming back? Um, There's been kind of some mixed reports about he should be okay to come back, but he's not feeling comfortable. But that's been going on for a long time. I I think I saw that report first about a month ago. That's a very long time. He also had a concussion earlier in the year. I don't know if that's playing into it at all. But I think there's an asterisk to be mentioned with New Orleans because I think if they are healthy, even with just a three-game lead, I think it would be tough to to catch like that's a quality team like they can they can bang out a 51 season if they're healthy so okay we we got sidetracked there um did you have more to say or were we going to do the 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 trivia question about how many teams have won a title as the four seed or lower since 1980 fourth since 1980 so like off the top of my head just like the the what is it the 95 rockets yeah i feel like it's the first team that comes to mind i think they were the sixth seed maybe won the championship um, man, it's really tough to recall everyone's seeds. I'm going to say, if that's one that I can just think of off the top of my head, let's say like, uh, can I say like five? Is five a it, good guess? The answer is one. Oh! It is just the two th- It is just oh, wow. the 1995 Houston Rockets. That's the answer. Wow. They're the only one that was the fourth seed or worse and won the title. Isn't that unbelievable? They're the only team that was four, seated fourth or lower and won a title since 1980, which is 43 championships. So every other championship since 1980, the team has been seeded one, two, or three. Now, part two of the trivia question, how many teams since 1980 have been the three seed and won the title? Okay. How many teams since 1980 have been the three seed and won the title? And, of course, the interesting thing in basketball, the way it's set up, is – A couple years in the 80s, the bracket wasn't a 16-team bracket, eight in each conference. But for most of the time, we're talking about a 16-team bracket, which means if you are the three seed in this conversation, you potentially have to play the two without home court advantage, maybe the one without home court advantage, and then the winner of the other conference, again, possibly without home court advantage. So how many times has the three seed won the title? Wow. Okay. So if it's one for four or fewer, mm-hmm. I, th- I think off the top, of my, the Bucks were the Bucks in twenty one. I think the Bucks like a, are one of three the, seed. Yes, the Bucks did it in two thousand twenty one. We're at least two. We're at least at two. I'm trying to run through people really quick. I feel like like the two thousand six Heat may have been like a three seed. Amazingly, um, they were not. But keep going. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, man, this is really tough on the spot. The Ma- oh, twenty eleven Mavericks. I think they were a three seed. Nope. They were also. No way! Uh, actually, let me just double check that because they have might have been tied with the two seed and then not had the home court advantage. Um, that that is possible. So I should say for our research, we did not we did not make distinctions between ties like that. Uh, Cody, what we're looking for here: third best record in your own conference. It's only happened three times. The, no the, way! The two thousand twenty one. Bucks are one. The 2022 Warriors are the second one. And the 2007 Spurs, the 2007 Spurs, if you recall, in 2007, uh, the Mavs won 67 games and lost in the first round. And I think the Suns also had a better record than them that year. Just amazing to me that if you don't have one of the two best records in your conference since 1980, you there's just no precedent basically for winning a championship uh you know 90 percent of the championships in the three-point era have come from a team with the first or second best record in the conference and that's not to say that it can't happen right we've just seen the last two years the three seed win it but 
this really jumped out to me and kind of blew my mind. It was inspired by our friend Krishna Narsu, who does a lot of stuff for uh, B-Ball Index. He has a tweet talking about how in like the last 20 years, if you don't have one of the three or four best overall records in the league, that it just these teams aren't winning championships. So Cody, last part of this, if we look at overall record in the NBA since 1980, um, how many teams, do, I mean, the, the Warriors are the 10th seed in the West, so they're not even close to having a top top five overall record. But how many championships do you think came from a team that did, let's say, didn't have a top four overall record? In the entire league. In the, the top entire four league. Yeah. Oh my God! So we had three. It's, it's got to be more than three. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and sit comfortably at five. Five seems like a nice little number. Phenomenal, phenomenal guess. The answer is four. Um, we talked about four. the the Rockets in 1995. They had the tenth best record in the league. There was one team that had the seventh best record in the league. There was one team that had the sixth best record in the league. That was the 2004 Pistons. And they were a team that obviously traded, traded, uh, let me try that again, changed a ton after the trade deadline. The 2006 Heat that you mentioned had the fifth best record in the league. Couple teams, uh, the 2011 Mavs and the 2012 Heat had the fourth best record in the league. Every other championship since 1980, that's 85% of the titles, the team has had one of the three best records in the league. So we're not saying anything groundbreaking. If you followed my research over the years, you know that in the NBA, the regular season is a good predictor and precursor of the postseason with a couple caveats here and there. We just mentioned that in the last few seasons, we've had three seeds come out of the uh, East and the West and win the title. So maybe because of resting and load management and all the injuries we're seeing, maybe it's more likely to see that now. But man, um, I'm going to be really concerned if you like can't even be a top four or five seed in your conference, regardless of what your pedigree is. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wonder, I, I like what you said about like the resting and whatever else, because I feel like I hear it, it's talked about all the time. The, the regular season doesn't matter. People don't like watching the regular season because people are trying. People are sitting and resting. But clearly, there seems to be some kind of correlation between regular season success and uh, playoff success. And that's that's interesting to me because I feel like you would look at more like uh, SRS type numbers from like basketball reference where you're looking at the strength of schedule. You're seeing net rating and stuff like that. And I feel like I would look at that as a predictor a lot more than than the actual record and play in the standings. Um, but I wonder if there's like a weird self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing going on here where people talk about the regular season not mattering as much. So you kind of don't treat it like it matters as much and all of a sudden it stops mattering as much. I I don't know. I think that's a really interesting trend. And, you know, I guess I would ask, you know, we, we went into our little foray into historical stuff in the past summer and whatever else. What do you think about about like the 80s and 90s specifically made it so like the first or second seed almost always won in in the finals my, my guess there is it's just a function of the dynasties and kind of you know we didn't really have free agency until 1989 so if your celtics and your lakers and to some degree your 76ers are put together you have a lot of continuity on those teams and it's hard to just you know bef even before expansion we had more expansion at the end of the 80s and through the 90s so you have a 22 team league and you have your established veterans with like the Celtics and the Lakers, and they frankly have like three or four all-star level players minimum. It's hard to have these shifts, sometimes even maybe hard to have injuries, although I don't know if there was as many um, injuries from night to night. You know, the game now, the, the way it's played is so hard on your body. So that would be my guess. Like that was the most stable environment that we looked at when it comes to these teams just um, – kick butt and take no prisoners in the regular season and they're setting themselves up for the playoffs as we get to like the last few years 
Golden State last year, if you remember, when they were healthy and together, was they were incredible in the regular season. And the Bucs, two years ago, they were in like a, a group of teams that like a couple more wins and they would have been the one seed or something like that. So they were right there. So to me, I still look at the regular season and I think this is a big indicator for what I'm going to look for in the playoffs. But Cody, man, the big thing, the big thing bouncing around in my head, and I think it relates to Golden State more than any other team right now, is how much does the league changing and growing and evolving um, not only influence kind of what we see from teams at the top level and how hard it would be for a team like Golden State to just press a button and all of a sudden play pretty well? How much of that does expl- how much of that explains the struggles they're having in the regular season? Um, by, by the way, one other thought to, to interrupt myself for a second time, I think here in this thought, like, this was the first off season we had that was a full off season, right? We had the pandemic Wait, in, since, oh, the, yeah, since yeah. the shutdown, right? The shutdown in 2020, there was an abbreviated off season going into 2021, and there was an abbreviated off season going into 2022. And so this is the first time we've had a full off season, and a lot of teams have. We did that Sacramento Kings video that we keep talking about, where you know teams are picking up and getting smarter about offensive sets to run. All that is to say, the final part of this thought for me, what are the playoffs going to look like? You know, we know they always look a little different. There are some people that say it's like it's like watching a different sport. Um, all the things that happen in the postseason with intensity, with scouting, with shortening the rotations, with the adjustments. But we're in kind of a new era. What's our what's our offensive rating league wide in the last month, Cody? Do we have our our weekly update on this? I mean, so our offensive rating, <laughs> oh, it dropped a little bit since the last time, but it's down to 116.8, oh, a measly 116.8. Oh, 116.8. These guys, this shot selection has gone sideways. I think we should stop the league and do a, a summit, probably an intervention to get these guys back on track. But this is what I mean, right? Like, we don't really know what a postseason is going to look and feel like coming out of a regular season where, like, an average month of offensive efficiency is 117. Will that go way down? Will people tweak lineups a little bit? Is there something slightly different in the officiating that helps the defense and changes some of the tactical advantages that we've seen from all these teams that they've derived? Um, I I just don't know what it looks like. And I think that's the last big part of that for me league wide. And it applies to Golden State as much as it applies to anybody. That's a great call. Um, I'm trying to think. So offensively, I feel like a couple of years ago, there was a prevailing conversation about offenses in the NBA that they all looked the same. Like it was very heavy helio ball type of thing, right? Like spread, pick and roll, running all the time. And it feels like we've definitely moved away from that. So would you say that there is more diversity of attack when it comes to offenses in the NBA right now? Do you think that's a fair assessment? Well, I don't know if diversity is the right word. In the sense that, like, a couple years ago, you could point to Harden's Rockets and say, they play spread pick and roll, and they'll look for switch hunting and go into isolation, and everyone stands around, and they want to get a drive to the rim, or they want to get a kick out for three. And then you watch Jokic, and he plays in the middle of the floor, and they do a bunch of handoff action. And then you watch Curry and the Warriors and Clay and these guys, and they have a lot of motion and multiple actions and things like that. And then you watch a team like, I don't know, the Celtics and the Celtics run like they like to run these like horn setups and get Jason Tatum going side to side action. I think they had Gordon Hayward and Kemba Walker and the Brad Stevens days. I think that was more diversity from team to team to team. What I feel like I'm seeing this year is everyone's just kind of pulled from the latest like, all right, how do we... How does this set work? How do we reset with a dribble handoff and a screen and a dribble handoff? And um, how do we change sides and use a step-up screen perfectly? All, all the things we've talked about all year on this show and in videos, I think most teams have an idea of how to run offenses that way, and especially the good teams. Like, you just tune into the Kings game, and the shot quality on every possession is absurd. Like, I, w- I was watching, like the Celtics and the Magic the other night. And it jumps off the screen when the Magic, who are a youthful team, 
still in experimentation phases, right? They play these lineups where it's like, oh, Paolo Bancaro and Franz Wagner, you kind of run the offense for a little while. It jumps off the screen when they have a couple possessions where they isolate the first action, whether it's an isolation or a basic pick and roll, gets shut down, the ball gets reset, and then like they isolate again. And they get like a step back contested shot. You just don't see that as much. You turn on a game from 2005, that's what all the shots look like. There's just a ton of isolation, a ton of contested mid-range shots. So that's one sort of meta idea for me is the shot quality around the league on every possession is off the charts. It's higher than it's ever been. And I'm comfortable saying that because the offensive rating is you know significantly better right now than what we saw for basically the entire three-point era until the last few seasons. Quick sidebar, but we got to revisit the Magic at some point because they're, they're still just a delight to watch and Markel Fultz is looking like he's running around blocking shots and being defensive and Paolo Bancaro might have been that Celtics game. He threw this this dime from the top of the key like behind a couple and I was like, oh my good God, this team is just awesome. So that be- before they're irrelevant for the season we should talk about them again but anyway what I wanted to say is I think the main thing that's going to be interesting when it comes to the playoffs is you know like you said every every team seems to have all these counters baked in they have the knowing how to play versus like here's the couple of sets that we run all the time it'll be interesting to see from team to team when we get to the playoffs if each team like has their own stamp on their offenses that when when a defense, you know, when they sit down and it's like, we need to scheme defensively for this team. If you're able to get granular about it and be like, look, when the Kings do this, this is how they hand it. We don't have to worry about day to day like the Kings do it this way. Next time we have to handle the Nuggets. Next time we have to handle the Warriors, etc., etc. We are just looking at the Kings. And it'll be interesting to see that when you can focus that much and really see if they're doing anything that's specific to them versus how they might be running it on day-to-day, if that slows it down. And that's the big question, like you just said. I mean, I'm basically just reiterating what you're saying, but that's the thing that we can't really tell until the playoffs start. So I agree with you. I don't want to rush to the playoffs yet because this has been a really fun season, and the West still needs to figure out all of their stuff because, like you said, the Warriors are the 10th seed and the Timberwolves are the 9th seed, and who knows who's going to end up where. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be a really interesting chess match to watch throughout the playoffs well it's still a really fun season and and the sort of stretch run that you just described is still to me at least extremely exciting but anytime you have a defending champ I I feel like um definitely with the early 2000s Lakers the 2001 the 2003 seasons uh kind of maybe the 2019 Houston Rockets remember they were so good in 2018 when they were together Chris Paul was a little injured to start the year and they were under 500 for a while. And then James Harden started averaging 57 points a game and got them back over 500. So you have this trend sometimes of like either the previous champion or a team that was very close to being the previous champion starting slowly. And we all, I think for obvious reasons, grant them the idea that like, yes, they have more, they can ramp it up. Things haven't gone well. They've been injured. And the Warriors sitting in 10 is extremely fascinating because their starters and the net rating and kind of performance of their key players has looked very good throughout the year. But the bench has basically been a disaster. Uh, A lot of young players in and out of the lineup with experimentation. and, um, And they can't win games on the road. And now their latest thing in the last like month and a half or whatever is they also can't hold on to leads, which in general is not something I pay too much attention to, but it's just more of this like, well, when is Golden State actually going to kick it into gear? Like, like, where is the magic? And I don't mean the Orlando magic. I mean, where is the magic for them to succeed and, and, and go forward and actually create a margin of victory and an advantage over their opponents? When is that happening? Is it coming? And if it's not, then um, no matter what their pedigree is, do we do we kind of push them aside and say they're not really in the championship conversation this year? So something that I, I tracked a little bit, I went I went back to look at the history of this this Warriors dynasty to see how they performed. And I pulled the, the two guys that I think are like the bedrock of the Warriors dynasty, right? I looked at Steph Curry and Draymond Green. What happens when these two are on the court? Going all the way back to 2015, their first championship. When those two were on the court, they played 2,100 minutes together. That's wild, Ben. They played 21 minutes together together 20 in 2015 
2015, 2100 minutes. Yeah, okay. in 2015, yeah. They had a plus 18 and a half net rating <laughs> when they were on the court together. So, so that's, that is an enormous number. So 2,000 minutes of play, they're outscoring their opponents by 18 points per 100. All right, keep going. 2016 now, 2016, they played 2,400 minutes together. They're plus 19 together. Plus 19. All right. This is a good duo. 2018. Uh, I mean, 2017. Kevin Durant is there. They're plus 18 again. 2,000 minutes. And then we get some injury concerns. They're not playing as much together, but still in 2018, they're about plus 13. 2019, they're almost plus 15. So these are some really big healthy numbers. Like from 2015 to 2019, none of them are below plus 12. Plus 12.7 is the lowest one of them. And then, of course, we have the injuries. Curry plays like 80 minutes or something like that in 2020. 2021. Curry's back. They play together. So they play 1,700 minutes in 21. They have a net rating of 6.4. And if I'm not mistaken, that's the year that they got knocked out in the... Uh, in the Playing game. Playing round yeah. by by the Grizzlies? They lose to the Grizzlies or the Lakers? Grizzlies, yeah. They lost to the Grizzlies? Wow. Well, they lost to both. So long. They ago. lost to both. They were, they were the seventh <laughs> oh. best team in the West. Yeah. You're right. That's yeah. what I was confused about. So they didn't even make the playoffs there, right? Plus 6.4. Last year, they win the championship. And again, limited minutes about 800 minutes together, those two have a plus 13.6 net rating. All right, so it's right back to what we're seeing around 2018-ish, okay? This year, again, when they're on in 800 minutes, they've played together more this season than last season, plus six again. So this indicator, one of these indicators that show how, how powerful, how thriving this Warriors team is, plus six is right around what they were in 2021 when they didn't make the playoffs and couldn't make it past the plan. And I'm not saying this is indicative of everything. And I know people are talking about, you know, their, their starters are playing well. And if you look at five-man lineups, they look great. But when you just isolate these two guys, Draymond Green and Steph Curry, the numbers aren't anything to like freak out about. Other teams aren't looking at that being like, oh, we got to be terrified of the Warriors. So... I don't know. That makes me a little bit nervous if I were to be a Warriors fan looking for looking for indicators of hope, Ben. Indicators of hope. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, there are two sort of big things for me here to, to discuss with them. One side of the ball is defense. One side of the ball is offense. I know what? It's, I'm, it's groundbreaking. There's no special teams in basketball. Wow. Um, but I think they both plug into everything we've been talking about. So... The first let let's let's start with offense. How about that? Let's start with yeah. offense. That's what the people are here for. Yeah. They, they just want to watch. Nobody the nobody cares about defense. Everyone just wants to see buckets. So yeah. let's yeah. let's start with offense. Um, the league obviously is scoring at the most efficient pace it's ever scored at. I would describe that to some degree, just like we did with that Kings video, as the league catching up to Golden State. The league catching up to Golden State. What I mean by that is the more teams borrow the idea that, hey, split cuts are really hard to defend. Hey, constant motion is really hard to defend. Hey, when you pass the ball and cut and go back door and then come out the other side on a baseline exit screen and all that, that's really hard to defend. And if we empower players to kind of play and move and shoot and handle the ball on the run, the the Kevin Herter is Clay Thompson, if you will, but also, by the way, Kevin Herter is probably a better passer and ball handler and things like that. The more you put those guys out on the court, right, the more that's what populates your lineup, um, the better you're going to be offensively. And if Golden State is running the exact same sets that they've been running with the kind of the exact same type of shooters, it's one of those things where like, 
the Warriors lead over the league, the Warriors' absolute efficiency stays the same, and the rest of the league's absolute efficiency goes up. There isn't the same relative advantage because other teams are kind of coming in and borrowing from what Golden State is doing, but Golden State's doing a very similar thing, if that makes sense. Do, first of so, all, do you buy that before I, before I throw some data at you? Well, in a nutshell, you're saying that the like light years ahead comment was actually pretty true when it came to their offense a few years ago. Like their offense was light years ahead, but now you know there's a wormhole that appeared, and the league is right there with them. They caught up when it comes to the actual on court strategy that they're using, right? To a degree, yes, that's what I'm talking about. It's not as as okay. we as we've mentioned. There's a lot of other things going on. There's um, you know the dribble handoff actions and three man games and um, using all the Mike D'Antoni concepts and pistol. And then the last video we did where you've got the all the backdoor cutting and all these, you know, triggers, the 45 cuts and baseline. There's just a lot more movement going on and a lot more action versus like stationary stuff, spread, pick and roll. And I think that has brought everyone up to speed. Let me let me let me throw a number at you. Um, in 2018, the Warriors... Offensive rating with Steph Curry on the court was 123, 2018. And that was the best in the league. Uh, Curry had the best on-court offensive rating in the league in 2016, 2018, 2019. And he was top five in 2017. What a slacker. But this season, he is only in the 84th percentile. I say only, right? So keep in mind that Golden State still has had a good offense with him on the court. They still had those positive offensive indicators that we talked about. You just said Draymond and Curry together are plus six. That's not really bad per se. It's just not in that championship dominant vein that you mentioned earlier. And so this year in 2023, that 84th percentile, Cody, is 118. So from an absolute perspective... Five years ago, the Warriors were five points more efficient with Steph Curry on the court than they are today. The difference is the league average offensive rating in 2018 was like, what, like seven points below where we're looking at right now or something. So I do think there's something offensively to this idea of like the Warriors stuff with the players that are out there is not automatically going to be plus 10 or 10 points better than the league. So as the league moves up to 117, they just automatically float up to 127 or 128. They're taking the same shots. It's the same shooters. It's still Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Klay Thompson. Um, so that's that's my thought. And then maybe we can talk about Klay Thompson because I think he's the, other, he's the other big part of this. I don't want to outright reject what you're saying. I think, I think that has definitely an element of, to what's going on here. I think in some way, like the league's offense is catching up, but I think another key is Ben. Steph Curry is 34 years old. He is 34 years old. And I don't know if we were to somehow rank like the best small guard performances in the playoffs of all time. Like we take for granted that Steph Curry looked on impossible in the finals at 33, right? Like that is just an all time performance that we take for granted for a guy that stands at what? Six, one, six, two, six, three, whatever he might be. And so he's older. Draymond Green, definitely older, and he can't shoot like he was able to in the 2016 blip where he was like 38% from three, and they were just an unstoppable offensive force. But then, like you said, there are, I think, there are really concerning things, wish I could use a better word, really, indicators, I feel like you use indicators a lot, I need, I need a new synonym for indicators. There are concerning indicators about Klay Thompson's performance, and not just from like watching him play uh, the shot selection that makes you be like, oh my God, dude, like you're, you're taking that shot right now. But you look at some of the like details about where he's taking the shots, how many of the shots he's making, at what percentage he's making them. This is not the same Clay Thompson that we saw seven, six, five years ago. And I think that combination of things, like on one hand, the team just father time catches up to you at some point. And I think it's catching up to all of them, uh, not like equally, but definitely it's hitting them in a way that brings them down collectively. But then, like you said, I think the league is catching up. So maybe they would have been up if they were in their prime. Maybe they're putting together a 127 offensive rating. It's probably part of it, but I do think that they're definitely just aging out of their brilliance. Well, I, I do want to talk about Claymore, but I mean, maybe the way you framed it helps clarify it for me. So let me know what you think of this. If the warrior, when the Warriors came along and just kind of swarmed the league 2015, 2016, 
you watch them play, it felt like a different thing. The speed at which they get into their actions and the movement and the level of precision with the fans will uh, take offense to that because they throw so many turnovers on their actions. But it's like Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, Andrew Bogut, they're out there just diming up these guys left and right. Backdoor cut, pull up three, Clay Thompson on the curl, Clay Thompson in the corner, Clay Thompson's got 37 in the quarter. You know, outside of the finals, Harrison Barnes is spotting up and making threes. It was a lot. It, it was. It felt like an avalanche compared to watching other teams. If you took that same offense now, the exact same offense, and you put it in the league, even with those guys in their prime, it wouldn't look that different than these other top offenses that we're seeing. And that's kind of the, the mental clarity for me um, to hammer home this point where it's like there's an absolute efficiency to offenses in basketball. Um, I think historically this has come up with like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and players like that. If you're going to take a ton of mid-range shots, even if you're really good at hitting like 50 or 52% of them, you're going to have to have a slightly different shot diet if you want to hit this like 67% true shooting that we're seeing. What's Jokic at? Is he at 68%? I mean, Kevin Durant, 65%. Like, you're going to need efficient threes. You're going to need more free throws because it's just almost impossible to be that good of a shooter from the mid-range. Shaquille O'Neal is another classic example, Cody, where if he, half his free throws are at 50% or 55%, that's for that's 55% true shooting. A 55% free throw is the exact same thing as 55% true shooting. So you have to get, if you're Shaq, you got to be up at like 67 to 70% on your field goals if you want to actually rise with the rest of the league. And I think that's a little what, of what's going on here. So you point out all of these all-time greats when it comes to you can't have like a mid-range shot diet, Shaq's free throw percentage, but we're talking about Steph Curry here. Like Steph Curry is, you know, captained maybe probably the best regular season offensive season we've ever seen. Like literally one, two top five offensive players ever. However you want to look at it is absolute peak. And, and, in, I, and in 2016, he shot like what, 50% on his wide open threes. So that, I'm saying, yeah. how do you go higher from there? That's my point. Yeah, I, I genuinely don't know. And I think a, a big part of this, too, is I think you and I are in agreement that defenses aren't necessarily worse than they were six years ago. Right. So ultimately, I guess you're right. But it's also hard to say that while also looking at the Kings having like a last month offensive rating of like 127 and being like, yeah, Steph Curry prime team couldn't lead his offense to better than that. Yep. So I. I, I, I don't know, Ben. That's, a, that's an interesting point. Uh, let's stick with the Kings for this comparison because I want to talk about Clay Thompson. I posed this question to the group the other day. Would you rather have Kevin Herter or Clay Thompson right now on offense? Hmm. Um, I feel like the answer is Kevin Herter. I, I feel like the answer is Kevin Herter. And whether that's ultimately the right answer at the end of a playoff run or something like that isn't even really important to make the point which is that you either have to think about it or from what I've seen during the regular season, I'm taking Kevin Herter. And therefore, it's like, yes, we can we can turn our noses up all we want at some of the other teams that are near the league in the top of offensive efficiency. But the Kings offense has a blazing fast point guard who's improved his shot. They have like a Jokic light dude. They have, they have a Clay Thompson facsimile in Kevin Herter, they literally have Harrison Barnes, the same player from the, the 2015 and 2016 teams, although I think he's a better shooter now, years later in his career. Um, Malik Monk is a flamethrower and kind of a pseudo-movement, I-can-handle-the-ball guy. There's a lot of talent that actually fits in that mold. When you go to Golden State, do they have the same level of offensive talent anymore relative to the other top teams in the league because yes you have curry and i would say after that who are your next two offensive players is it jordan Poole and clay thompson would you include andrew wiggins in there if you include andrew wiggins in there it's a very different kind of offensive player mid-range isolation offensive rebound slash finisher can hit his open threes, but not the same kind of guy who's going to do stuff with the ball and uh, move around a ton and things like that. So, and then after that, you're talking about like Draymond Green, who's probably a negative to a lot of people on offense at this point, Kevon Looney, 
Um, the other players you expect to see in the rotation in the playoffs, Don, Don, uh, Dante, I was going to call him Dominic for some reason, <laughs> Dante DiVincenzo. Um, like, you see what I'm getting at? When you actually start to look at the talent, who's their second and third best offensive player, and how does that compare to the other top teams? So on one hand, you have Curry, who's, you know, Steph Curry. Curry. A few years ago, yeah. we're talking about one of the greatest offensive players ever. But when you look at the collection of talent, like you just laid out that case for the Kings. And the uh, fact well, that like... Yeah, that's just the Kings. We could do... Yeah. Look at New Orleans' top three. They have Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, and CJ McCollum. I mean, it's just like when you start to when you start to break it down like that, I'm a little concerned about the offensive talent. So go, go ahead. You had more. I, I jumped in. Yeah, I, I was just saying when you when you have Malik Monk coming off off the bench for them, like I, I think the the facsimile for the Warriors is they want Jordan Poole to be the Malik Monk type, but then everyone that's in between, they don't seem to have the same kind of creation stuff. Like they, you know, Draymond Green could do his keeper, you know, keeper drives and dunks and things like that. And he's of course a passing genius, but offensively he's not in the same realm as as Sabonis right now. And like we said, Kevin Herter's probably better than Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Steph Curry, but the Aaron Foxes, yeah, I don't know, Ben. I think I. I I don't necessarily think I would say the league has caught up to the Warriors. I still just feel like that the Warriors have kind of regressed to the point while the league is rising up, like I said, that they've all kind of, you know, ended up together. But I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Uh, I, I, I don't know beyond what we've talked about already, but just, just looking up Clay Thompson here, Curry in our, uh, uh, Clay Thompson, sorry, in our, um, in our, uh, what is this called? Our, our database that we have for Patreon subscribers at patreon.com slash thinking basketball. I can't put together a sentence today, Cody. I'm sorry. Clay Thompson. It's a tough one today. It's, it's a tough one today. I'm with you there. Um, Clay Thompson, his offensive box plus minus in our model this year is in the 55th percentile. He is a little better. He's like in the 70s in some of the other one number stats that we have up there. But I mean, when you look at the rest of the Warriors, Jordan Poole kind of hovers in that very same place, like 55th, 50, 58th percentile in our offensive box plus minus. And then just to, just to stick with the Kings, like in that very same stat, Kevin Herter's in the 78th percentile. So that's where I kind of wonder um, now, let me add one more point to the offense. Oh, sorry. Did you have something you want to jump in on? You know, I, I kind of thought I coherently thought of a point I was trying to make with the Kings early. I was trying to get to it at some point. Then there was a disconnect. The bridge has been built then. We're, we're there now. What I was going to say about the Kings, not just like absolutely saying that they have better offensive players. But when I think about the Warriors, I'm just like, where is the offense coming from? Right. Because there's a lot of different places the Kings can do it. And especially having somebody like Sabonis just opens up a lot of doors because, you know, I think Kevin Herter, at least right now on his own, has more creation chops than Clay Thompson. But you put him next to somebody like Sabonis and it's kind of like a synergistic improvement. I don't see that kind of synergistic improvement with the Warriors because right now you have, you know, Curry obviously can create his own offense. You imagine Poole can create his own offense. You know, he's he has his flashes. But we also saw in the playoffs, he's not getting sustainable minutes all the time. So where you can trust it to a point. But beyond that, Ben, like, where do you run the offense through? Like, what what do you do? Like, Andrew Wiggins isn't necessarily a guy you want creating for everyone else. And Draymond Green, like we talked about, is probably a negative when it comes to his his scoring woes and whatever else. So just like the different avenues for even starting an offensive possession, there's fewer of them, uh, much less even talking about finishing, which the Warriors might, you know, they have good play finishers, but it's the play initiation that seems to be the biggest concern for me. And maybe that's part of the league catching up to me, because I feel like this year more than ever, Clay Thompson's lack of ball handling or sort of like penetration, that threat to have a live dribble in some of these actions and then break down the defense and pass and create hurts this team more than you watch these other teams. And it's like you get late in the clock and you have a third or um, second action or something like that. And it ends up in a guy's hands who can play off a handoff. He can play off a ball screen. He can get into the paint. But Clay, of course, this year he just he he just drives less and less as he gets older. He's coming off of devastating injuries. He's I think he's done an amazing job. We we all probably admire his comeback over multiple years for really 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 challenging injuries to come back from. But his shot selection, just how quick he is pulling the trigger on some of these threes and long twos, and then it's a subtle thing, but directly to your point, 
when that play breaks down and when you get to the end of the possession and he ends up as the one with the ball, it's like, I don't feel like they get many good shots or, or the quality of shots, I, could, I should say, isn't as good as you'd want in that position, especially if that guy's like your second or third best offensive player. And it's the same kind of thing as Andrew Wiggins, where I think these two guys can hit tough shots, but it's not to a high enough percentage where it's worth it. And beyond that, they're not really going to contribute much more on ball. Let's talk a little bit more about Clay Thompson, because you talk about the the off the bounce creation. And, you know, I, I pulled some numbers that really stark. Like when I pulled these, you know, when I watch Clay Thompson, I don't know if you feel the same way, but generally when I'm watching, I'm like, man, he is just <laughs> he is just firing away. Like, is that your first impression yeah. when you see him? Yeah. So, you know, his three-point attempts per 100 is the first thing I checked out because I'm like, I feel like he's shooting a lot more threes. You know, around 2015, 2016, he never hits 12 threes per 100 possessions. He's always between 10 and maybe like the high 11 point something rather. Comes back in 2022, he breaks 15, 15.2 three-pointers per 100 possessions. This season, 14.8 per 100 possessions, almost almost like three uh, three-pointers per 100 possessions more. And you might be like, Cody, this is the new NBA. Like, don't we want one of the best three-point shooters of all time taking more threes? You know, maybe that sounds good in theory, but when you think about the other kinds of shots that's being taken away, the kinds of shots that might actually be opening things up for, for the offense, it can actually be a detractor to start shooting some from there. Because if you look at his rim frequency, the percentage of his shots that he took at the rim, 2015, 19%, 2016, 20%, 2017, 17%, right? We're in the healthy, like, teens, 20-ish. And what is it now? In 2022, 8.7%. 2023, 7.6%. Yeah. So we're talking more than half, like, less, sorry, less than half of the attempts at the rim that he was getting in, like, the 2016, 2017 range. And when you're not driving to the rim, when you're not getting those kinds of opportunities, that means you're not opening up kickout opportunities, you're not drawing defenses, you're kind of letting them off the hook by not taking people off the bounce. So, um, to me, that is the most concerning statistic that I see when I think about Clay Thompson. Yeah, it's just part and parcel with what we're talking about. There isn't that rim pressure. Um, I pulled 2016, where... Even his style of play back then, you're, you're not thinking of a guy who has the ball and puts a ton of pressure on the basket and things like that. But he did take about six drives per 36 minutes and um, finish them with 53% true shooting. And that's above average in both categories. If you look at this year, he's under six drives and he's at 41% true shooting on his drives. That's in the 10th percentile in the league so it's just not something that's really that big of a part of his game anymore and similarly you mentioned rim attempts we have a stat that we keep track of on our board for patreon subscribers it's the amount of offense that comes at the rim and from the free throw line and in 2016 that was one quarter of clay thompson's offense still only in the 16th percentile it was never part of his game but man cody seven years later this season that number is down to 12%. As you said, another having, and that is at the very, very bottom of the league. He is in the first percentile in that category. So oh he, your eyes are not tricking you um, when you see him quickly gunning a ton of shots from the outside because he's just not getting in and touching the paint and breaking the defense down. Last thing I want to talk about here is the, is the defense. We, we segued, um, you know, nicely there. Oh, you have one more thing. One more thing about the offense, because I, I do. Th- do you want to talk about turnovers at all while we're talking about offense? Because I think turnovers, unless this ties no, into I defense. No, I think that's the defense. That's I, this is the defense yeah. part. Oh my goodness, Ben, keep going. Well, keep no, going. I think that's part for the defense because last season, if you go back to the video we did on the Warriors, um, there's a couple things that jump out to me. The first one, since we're here, is the fact that the defense helped the offense, meaning you have this great elite defense. It creates stops and turnovers. What's the most efficient offense you can get? It's off of live ball turnovers and misses that get you out against a defense that isn't quite as set. You get cross matches, things like that. Last year, I think 40% of their offense came after those types of stops on defense. This year, it's 38%. So you go from like um, top of the league to kind of middle of the league or something. And it's just that each one of those possessions is being traded in for a half court possession against a set defense, that kind of thing, because your because your defense gets scored on. 
So I think that's the turnover part. Do you have other stuff to say on the turnover part before we go to more defense? I mean, just the fact that they're at the top of the league when it comes to bad pass turnovers per 100, like literally, literally they, they create the most turnovers off bad passes. And then when you look at the amount of points that people score off them off turnovers, they're second in the league. The only team that that teams score more off turnovers against is the Rockets. And, you know, that's, we haven't that, talked much about the Rockets. Go, yeah. go, go listen to other people talk about the Rockets. We're <laughs> not going to do that here. But it's 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 not good because, like you said, it, it's a double-edged sword. You're giving people the most efficient offense, and then you let them establish their defense. It just hurts you on both ends. You don't you don't want to be lumped in with the Rockets. That's, uh, no. that's not a good sign. But I think the the... Other big thing with the defense to me is last year they were so good when you were stationary. They were so good if they could get in their shell where everyone's in the right position, boxes and elbows, you kind of know where to rotate. The ball goes to one side of the court. Everyone knows, okay, the low man, he rotates over and we've got all our uh, communication. Everything's all buttoned up. Cody... This season, fewer teams are running that kind of offense. This season, we have more shooters on the court. We've got more movement. We've got more three-man stuff. We've got more dribble handoff. So the Warriors' defense can't be as stationary and can't be as set, in addition to the fact that they're a little older. I think Klay Thompson's defense has actually looked really strong um, for Klay Thompson in the last month or so of the games that I've seen. Andrew Wiggins has been injured. He, I would expect him to be right where he was last year defensively. Draymond Green's conditioning maybe isn't what it was last season. Maybe he's a little bit like a touch older in terms of uh, reacting a little more slowly to plays. But I think the other part of this defense thing is just what we said for the offense. Like the league makes it harder for the Warriors' defensive strengths to take hold this season like they did against, you know, most of the league last season. What do you make of the fact that last season the Warriors had Otto Porter Jr. for over 60 games, had Gary Payton of uh, the second for over 70 games, and Juan Toscano-Anderson playing? Like, do you think, I mean, obviously that affects their defense, but do you think that they'd be able to be more uh, responsive to the offense of this season if they still had those three players? Yeah, yeah, I do. I, just like what we said earlier, if Curry and Clay were in their prime, I think they would be better. If you had Gary Payton, I think you'd be better. But it's all degrees, right? So the league catching up bumps your relative advantage down a little bit. It's another point or two off of your um, advantage that you have over teams, off of that margin for error. Then being a little bit older or something or an injury bumps you down another point. Not having Gary Payton, that might be another point. So it kind of adds up. And I think we should say that both on offense and defense, maybe this is a good place to wrap up, both on offense and defense, The signs have been there for the Warriors, which is why I just don't entirely know what to do with them yet. I feel like I have a lot more clarity on like, okay, this is what's happening with the league. This is where they were last year. I kind of of have a better understanding of how I feel about them, but it's not good. It's, It's pretty pessimistic. But at the same time, let's just look at defense. With some of the injuries they've had, their defensive rating in the last month is three and a half points better than league average, Hmm. right? They're like a top 10, top eight defensive rating in the last month. Offensively, we already talked about how, despite not being the best offense in the league anymore or looking like it, when those starters are out there, even with the limitations we talked about, you still have Steph Curry. You still have the shooting of Clay Thompson You still have Jordan Poole. You still have the passing of Draymond Green. You still have the system that they're running. So that's looked like good enough offense. Can you put those things together at the same time? And I don't know how you feel after this conversation, but that's kind of where my head lands. It's like Golden State to me is better than their record, but they're also not as good as they were last year when they were healthy. And somewhere in between, where does that leave them? Does that leave them as a fringe playoff team? Does that leave them as a fringe title contender? I don't quite know where the in-between is, but that's what it feels like to me after kind of really diving into this in the last you know few weeks. So I think my response to that is it's a little bit complicated because I remember going... You know, I think last year when we started talking about the inner circle of title contenders, like the Warriors were very solidly in for us. 
if I'm not mistaken. Like we had four teams and the Warriors are one of oh, them. Oh, you mean yeah. you mean oh yeah. I mean yeah. even, even be- I think I think even before we did that show, just right out of the gate, um, that's why we were scouting them so heavily in the in the fall. We were like Gold- Golden State looks like the best team in the league. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then when we started the finals, I was pretty adamant that they were going to win. Like I was I was on the like Warriors got this in 6 train. I think they're clearly going to take it because of, you know, a few different advantages. I think they were really rolling in the playoffs. So when I say I'm a little bit lower on them, I'm lower on them relative to how I felt last year. Where last year at this time, I'm like, this team is like the cream of the crop. I don't see many teams being able to stop them. They're in the inner circle. So maybe I'm a little bit more pessimistic walking from this conversation because I think it's a lot nicer when the laundry list is smaller, right? Like your Sunday afternoon is just easier when the only thing on there is like prep your chili for the week, you know? Then you can go about the day. It's like, I got all my chili fixings. I'm throwing it all together. This is all I have to accomplish. You're cooking right right now? Yeah, but here's the thing, Ben. That chili, that chili is a lot more insurmountable if you also have laundry on there. If you also have to snow blow. Sorry for anyone that's on the coast that don't know what snow is, but uh, that's also something you have to have on your Sunday laundry list. You got to go get groceries. When it gets really long, it could, it becomes a lot more tougher. And that's kind of how I feel about the Warriors, where it's not like one magic fix where it's like, we're going to tweak this one thing and they're going to be back in that inner circle. I feel like there's too many too many levers that need to be need to be pulled and improved to get them to where they need to be, where I'm ultimately pessimistic at this point. But that mostly just means I don't see him as an inner circle title favorite right now. Can can you do everyone a great solid? And can you tweet out? You know what I'm going to ask. Can you tweet out the picture of you snow blowing in like eight feet of walled snow that you sent all of? Can you can you do that? The one where I have literal icicles like growing on my beard. That's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. That that was a that was a special time. A special time for for going through it. It felt, it felt like the Warriors, right? Like you're pushing through the eight inches of snow and you're like, I guess I can handle this. But all it takes is just I got to grit it out and make this happen. And we'll see if the Warriors are able to do that. I, I hope for those listening that this has helped provide some food for thought or maybe some clarity or maybe more confusion. I, I don't know what's happened because for me it's provided a little more clarity where like two weeks ago, I've just been staring at the standings all year. And sometimes I sometimes I print out the standings and I put them on the wall and I just look at them. They're like a beautiful painting. They should be in the Tate Modern Museum in London. They're spectacular. And I just, every day it's like 10th Warriors, 500, 500, 500. And, and I'm like, well, I, I feel like a run is coming, but now we're 47 games into the season, what can the run look like? How good is it going to be? So for me, there's a little bit more clarity in understanding why they might not have the same advantage they had over the league last year, why they might be better than their record, but also not good enough to be an inner circle title title contender. And yet I still come away from this conversation with like, check back with me in a month. <laughs> I, I still want to see, you know, check back with me in a month. Um, March or something. I still want to see what it looks like when they're all healthy and and they're just going all out and um, potentially have made a run and what that run looks like. Is it against teams who are rebuilding and and tanking and um, you know or or do they start playing higher quality teams really really competitively? That's always a, a big indicator. So I, I don't know. That's that's where I'm at on this one. Do you want to end by by teasing who your inner circle is right now? My inner circle title contenders? Yeah. Just, you know, vibe check right now at, at late January. Who, who would you say is your inner circle? Oh, boy. Um, inner circle title contenders. I guess the Celtics Yeah, have to be there. I guess the... Uh, can I have... Four? How many teams can I have? Can I have as many as I want? Yeah, yeah. Let's invite everyone. I, I, then I will. Then I will say one of the thirty NBA teams will win the championship oh this God. season. Uh, Celtics. Okay, I'll say the Celtics, the Nuggets, uh, the Nets, mm. and I want to put. I want to stop there. I want to. I want to. I want to stop there because because we've talked about this before. Like I. I really kind of want to put Memphis there and Milwaukee would be the other one I think but I'll just say those three just 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 for the spirit of your question what, what do you got the Brooklyn Nets 
being in this conversation is the biggest just plot twist that I did not see coming this season. Just not at all. I mean, we lambasted their defense last year. And I, I think this is the first year I was finally like, all right, there's no way I'm trusting this team anymore. I'm over the whole, did you see how scary they looked in seven games against the Bucks thing? And I jumped off the train a little too soon. They look fantastic. They look very good. They look very yeah. good. We've, we've talked about Nick Claxton. They're going to get mm. Kevin Durant back. They got a ton of shooters out there, which is hard to guard. They'll kind of, they'll still have to kind of put that together with like, can you have how many how many Seth Curry's and Joe Harris's can you have out there in the playoffs and also have this level of defense? But um, I think at this point, Cody, I got to include them. I have to include them. Yeah. Is uh, for Milwaukee not making it? Is it just like what's going on with Chris Middleton? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what to make. Yeah. But what what would you do? What would your inner circle title contenders be? Would they be the Bucks and no one else? I don't. <laughs> you are wearing a Fear the Deer T-shirt today, I believe. Is that I absolutely correct? Absolutely, am. Yeah. Can you absolutely. show everyone on YouTube this? This. Uh, look at this. Look at this. Oh, look at that. Symbol. Beautiful oh, monochromatic outfit. I, I love it. I really, you know what a grout fit is, right? I do now. Cody told me right before <laughs> recording. Uh, let's end the show. <laughs> to, to, to support this program, check out patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. That's where you can find the stats we alluded to in today's show. Uh, patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. We also have, we just had a great one, our monthly Q&A. It's a live Q&A with our Discord community. Tons of great questions and, and conversation topics that we don't get to hit in podcast. Patreon.com slash thinking basketball. That is it for this one. As always, thanks for listening all the way through and wherever you're listening, especially, especially in the Bay Area after today's show. I hope you're having a great day. <laughs>